0: We continue on in the Gospel of Mark. And you know what? We get blessed every time we open God's Word. And we get blessed as we focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. you get blessed when you really look at Him, examine uh, Him out? Well, when you you look at the Gospels, you actually see the life and ministry of Jesus. Of course, you see Christ all throughout. The Old Testament, the New Testament. He's there everywhere, isn't He? He's threaded in in all things. In the life and ministry of Jesus, in the Gospels, we get the details. He preached, uh, He taught, He healed, He cast out demons, did amazing things. And when you put all four Gospels together, you get a great cross-section, really, of the life, the person of Christ, and of course, His death and burial resurrection. So the Gospels portray the very majesty, the supremacy, the excellencies, the power of uh, this wonder, of this person. So, the whole Bible is about Him. And every time you pick up the Bible, look for Christ. That's what we're looking for. There are many pictures, many types of Christ in the Old Testament that you don't necessarily see really clearly when you look at Christ there, but He's there. Uh, he will, will, we can see Him continually. Now, after you read the, the Gospels, of course, you have uh, in order as far as uh, the chronological order in the Bible. You have the book of Acts. Of course, that's what happened. Uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit in the apostles, and in the men who followed Jesus for three years, now are living out the things that Jesus did. Uh, the The power that He had, the authority was given to them. So you had 12 of them going out and going out all over the world as it was at that time. And so the the Gospels expand through the ministry of the Apostles. And then you look at the Epistles and that shows us how we are equipped and powered to live this Gospel out. To live the life of Christ. To live like He desires us to do. Although we fall so far short of that. At the same time, we, uh, we are representatives of Christ. And so those Epistles are very valuable. And we even get in, of course, The book of Revelation is the revelation, the revealing of Christ in His ultimate. When you see Him as He is there in the first chapter of Revelation. So, Jesus Christ is about everything. He is it through the Scripture. It's all about Him. And that's the way our lives should be. Now, in the book of Mark, we've been getting a really good taste of the beauty the essence, the deity of our Master, haven't we? Every week as you peer into here, I can't wait till the next week and I get to read all the next week what that next section is and just keep peering into it. And you go, wow, this is such a blessing that we get to go back 2,000 years ago and see this legitimately. We can say, well, we're not sure if this really happened. No, we know this happened. And of course, every word of God is true. Isn't that good to know? You you watch movies, and you know they throw things in. You know, especially when they have Bible movies, and they throw some things in there. You know, that's not even in the Bible. You say, that's not there. You know, but when you read this, it's nothing but the truth, the whole truth. <laughs> Everything is truth. So this morning we're going to look at a very familiar story: the feeding of the five thousand. There probably aren't a whole lot of people throughout this city or even in this country that have not heard something about the feeding of the 5,000. Somebody, I, I'm sure, hasn't ever heard of that. But uh, anybody that ever gone to Sunday school, of course you're, you're familiar with it. If you, had, if you didn't go to Sunday school, then probably it got around in, in uh, some manner or form. But it's a very significant miracle. It's not just a Sunday school Bible story, even though that's really important. But it's much more than that story. And uh, what we want to do this morning, as I always say, we want to make this come alive. Act like you're... Imagine that you're part of this crowd of the thousands. You're just one of many that happen to be there. And what we do to get this story, we can look in all four Gospels. All four writers of the Gospel recorded this. I want to tell you something fascinating you would say well there're probably other gosp- i mean there're probably other miracles that are in all four gospels no this is the only miracle that appears in all four So it must be very significant. Now, whenever I say miracle, I have to be really careful because the resurrection is the greatest miracle, isn't it? But excluding the resurrection, of course they put that in. The death, burial, resurrection are in all four Gospels. But this is one story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, put in there. And, And it's probably, as many commentators that I read this week, almost all of them said, this is the biggest Of his miracles. And how can you say that? There have been uh, resuscitations of people, like resurrections of people, where they came back to life. Uh, All the other miracles, the leprosy and and such. How can you say this is bigger than that? Well, how can you? You But in another way, you can, because those were like individuals that got healed. You know what I mean? This is including thousands and thousands and thousands of people who got to get in on this, who partook of this actual miracle. This thing really happened. And regardless, he said, it really happened. Well, some of some of those writers, like a William Barclay and some of the commentators, have all sorts of different other stories and say, well, really what it was, they all had a little bit of food. They actually had food in their pockets and they just, whenever the apostles went around, they said, oh, yeah, and they said, hey, get your food out now. So they just pulled it out of their pockets. They didn't have pockets in their robes, did they? <laughs> they just pulled that out and boom, you know, magically, you know, and it really wasn't magically, it really wasn't a miracle. Because they like to take away the the miracles of the Bible, and once you do that, then you've really adulterated all of Scripture. You know, you you, just, you can't do that. This this is a real happening, significant miracle. I mean, the Creator of the universe, he doesn't have any trouble at all creating any food, does he? I mean, he create, he you know he gives us this stuff all the time. Usually, he does it in a in a way that's uh, dealing with providence but uh, that's even more of a miracle that <laughs> he would worked providence that he had worked through behind scenes and such but this is the apex of the very ministry of Christ in Galilee I mean we're reaching the top of this we have only gone through six chapters we still have a ways to go don't we but the thing is not much of his ministry is going to be left in Galilee uh, we're nearing down to within the last year Okay, that's how far we've come now. We've seen miracles. And we've seen the preaching and teaching of Christ and all the authority that's there. But this is really the last of the great power miracles that I think affect as many as it does. A public miracle like this, He will do more. There are many more to go, but... So I'm not saying this is his last miracle, but it's one to really concentrate on. Because what he's going to do from here very shortly, very shortly he's going to go up north, the direction to Tyre and Sidon. That's exactly where he's headed. He's going to go to Tyre and Sidon. That's not Jewish area. That's Gentile area. So he's going to go there and do a little bit of ministry. And then he's going to come back and he's going to go not where the area that he's been dealing with, Capernaum and all around that, and then kind of heading south there, still in Galilee. He's going to go on the other side, the Decapolis area, have a lot of Gentiles living over there. He has some Jews, uh, but it's, it's a different kind of area. It's on the eastern side. So he's going to spend some time there. Then he's going to come back, sweep down through Galilee, not spend a lot of time there this time. He's going to head straight on south to Where? Judea, do a little bit of ministry there, not going to be the big crowds that he's been dealing with, and then go right on into Jerusalem. And we know what happens in Jerusalem. That's the cross. And that's where it's all headed. And he knows exactly what he's doing from one point to the next. And he's pretty well reached that apex. And so we've reached a crossroads here with Christ. Uh, With all that ministry. And and he's there with his disciples in the very last year now. So the placement of this story I think is incredible. It is a stark contrast between where we were dealing with last week and you'll remember where we were at there was with Herod. And Herod's feast, right? Herod's feast. all the debauchery that was going on there and you take that feast and now you look at this feast the feast of the feeding of 5,000 the fish and the bread the fish and the bread made by Jesus the fish and the bread that was not touched by sin think on that (laughs) food for thought did you get that? okay, sorry about that No pun intended. Actually, it was. We'll move on. Okay. What are these miracles demonstrating? The control that Christ has over natural creation, over all of creation. He provides for the needs of His creation. He controls all the laws of the nature that we know that's here on our earth. And He puts Himself on display when He does that. Don't you like to see our Lord on display? His glory. And what you uh, know that you see there is the deity of Christ. And also, I think of a word out of the Old Testament. A name for Jesus, or God, is Jehovah Jireh. And everybody is probably familiar with that. The Lord provides. I can't count how many times I was using that word the lord provides oh i don't know probably 30 years ago i was between jobs for a few months and i kept thinking jehovah jireh <laughs> the lord provides people kept reminding me of that and that got me through that quite the encouragement well same thing happened in the, in the last year <laughs> and the lord provides he always provides and what we see now is the incarnation Christ in the flesh, Jehovah-Jireh, as He's going to provide the people bread, fish, food. This miracle is demonstrating what He's really about, and He is the bread of life, isn't He? The bread of life is walking amongst them, And He's going to feed them. They're going to partake of that food. But what He's really demonstrating is that they are to partake of Him. The bread of life. The provider of life. Eternal life. Right there before them. Hey, let's read that word in Mark 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus And they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, He saw a large crowd and He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. When it was already quiet, late, His disciples came to Him and said, This place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But He answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, uh, How many loaves do you have? Go When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food broke the loaves and He kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious, written revelation you have of yourselves and as we peer into this today you had divinely designed this meeting with those particular people at that time put on the display of the bread of heaven may we be able to take this very truth and make it work in our lives as we trust in the provider in Jesus name Amen well let's get into the, this story I'll tell you what Every time I look at Christ, I just kind of fall in love with Him even more. You know, I just don't fall in love. It's, it's His love that He cast upon me. He's the only reason why I love Him. But you know what? I can't wait to be in His presence. This has to be exciting. What would you thought if you'd been in this crowd and you'd seen this? Well, I'll tell you what, I'd want to see Him the next day. i want to see what, what, uh, what He's about. Well, apostles gathered together, it says in verse 30, with Jesus... They reported to Him all that they had done and taught. You know where they've been, right? Remember that they've been uh, sent out in pairs? And so you have six pairs sent out over Galilee. So that kind of multiplies the situation rather than just Jesus and the apostles together in one spot. Now you have the message being put out in six spots. They've been healing, casting out demons using the Word of God on people, lives are being changed all over Galilee. They come back. You think they're tired? Believe me, they are really tired. Remember Jesus was so tired one time that He was in the boat and there was a tremendous storm. Remember that story? And He was sleeping while this terrible wind and waves and storm was just crashing all over the boat. And He's sleeping. Well, it was because He was tired. But He has a concern for His disciples because He knows. He's been there. He knows how humans feel. Keep that in thought. He knows how you feel. We feel not so good sometimes. He knows that. He knows how it feels. So the twelve returned probably by the termination of the news of the death of John the Baptist, which we covered last week. So they share with Jesus all the stories that they did you know you 've heard missionary stories it 's exciting to hear what you know they uh, have encountered and all the stuff that they have done as they presented the gospel. You, you like to hear those stories sometimes it 's really encouraging isn 't it? Well, Jesus is hearing this, and of course he 's probably instructing them you know, okay, uh, if this situation arrives, you know here 's how you can do this, and here 's what you can do with this, and he listens to more to the stories they 're excited they created a stir all over Galilee. And that's one of the reasons why uh, why we saw that story of John the Baptist, all that power that was happening, and the news was just spreading because of the authority of Christ that's being spread out by these men, these six pairs of the apostles, and it's happening so quick that John the uh, Baptist is, of course, he's in prison, and Herod says, uh, you know, and, and then John the Baptist has already been killed, really. And the thing is, is that Herod goes around saying, that has to be John the Baptist risen from the dead. People are saying that. I mean, crazy things are happening in Galilee. So, hey, this this is what, what the stir was all about. So, mighty works. Intense for the disciples. They're amazed at what God has done through them. They come back and... Man, um, they're they're tired. They're hungry. You've been there. Tired physically. Hungry physically. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place. We're going to rest. Let's go to a really quiet place. Doesn't that sound good? Let's go to a, a little lake or somewhere where there's not anybody. Let's take our picnic basket and let's just sit down. No noise. No phones. No internet. You know, no, just nothing, but just the birds and a nice, quiet place, blue sky, taking it in, and they're going, Yes, yes, we need to draw off of you, Jesus, a little power. He says, Let's rest a while. And it says in parentheses, For there were many people coming and going. You know, every week I think I say that. Does that sound a little redundant? Well, the Word of God is not redundant, so it's okay for me to say that, isn't it? It just keeps reminding. For there were many people. We're talking not just like 30 or 40 people, or 100 people, or 1,000 people. Thousands of people. They're coming and they're going. And they did not even have time to eat. There the people come. And by the way, they're at Capernaum. They're back at the headquarters. This is where they always wind up going. That's a good place to meet, isn't it? That's about as good as ever. I always wonder, okay, the disciples are out there. Uh, he must have told them when to come back and probably where to, where to go. Uh, it doesn't say. Maybe, maybe not. But why not go back to Capernaum? Good place to hang out. That's what they did. Did it constantly. Uh, whenever it was time to go back home, and then, then you go and go out again. But even when you go back home, oh, the crowds. Oh, that's right. We've got to go to a secluded place, guys. Let's go where nobody is at. These guys here are just gonna, not going to give you any rest. It was so much that way that... What does it say at the end of that verse? They didn't even have time to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but food is really important. And whenever I'm at work, every day when it gets close to noon, like 10.30... <laughs> I start thinking, oh, noon time is coming up. It's an hour and a half. Then it's eleven o'clock. Got another hour here, another half. It finally gets there, you know. All right, this is lunch time, and great, get to enjoy that lunch. Um, what if you go without two meals, and somebody calls on the phone? Okay, I'll call back later.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm hungry, right? Well, there were so many people upon. They, how many times does this happen where they can't eat? You know, you got to eat sometime. You have to eat, you know, to get refreshed. They didn't have time to eat. So, whenever they're saying, okay, guys, get in the boat, let's go. And you know what? We're out of here. Yeah, Jesus, thank you, thank you. They went away in the boat. I like the boat. It's probably the same boat they constantly get into. Remember Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, wh- whoever. You know those guys. They used the boat, the boat, and so that's probably the same one. They went to a secluded place by themselves. Well, they're on their way there. They're gonna, they're gonna head towards that way they're really going to get their rest and their food on the boat. That's really it. And I think Jesus knows this because He has a divine appointment for them and Him. Well, here's what happens. You can't get away from people when you are Jesus. Verse 33. The people saw them going. There they are. They're out there in the boat. That's them. Imagine they're recognizing the sail that's on the boat. They probably recognize that boat. Hey, it's it's those guys. There they are again. That's Jesus out there. (laughs) Crowds are absolutely huge. Uh, By the way, in Luke 9.10, I didn't give you enough proof, but I said they had been at Capernaum. The reason I say that, you can borrow from some of the other Gospels because that's what's so good about the four Gospels. They don't cause doubt because they seem to be a little bit different, they just complement each other and they add a little bit of fact that the other one didn't put in. And so we get the whole story and we look at the Gospel. So in in Luke 9.10, says, When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done, taking them with him. He withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this, followed him, welcomed them, and again speaking to them about the King of God, curing those who didn't need him. That's taking us up to the crowd of 5,000. Um, so anyway, a city called Bethsaida. That's where they're headed. They're uh, like at Capernaum. It's Bethsaida is a small village. And they're supposed to go to, to a secluded place, a desolate place. Well, you've seen some small towns, so small that that's what they are. Well, actually, the secluded place and the desolate is even outside of this little bitty town that's almost nothing. And so, you know, it is actually a secluded place. He doesn't want to go into the town because he wants to stay out where the the little village couldn't hold them all. You know, they've been running into people's houses and stuff and who knows what they'd be doing there. But this is a little bitty village city, I guess we can say a little small town, built by uh, Philip the Tetrarch. Remember Tetrarch? We talked about that last week. There was another Tetrarch by the name of Herod. Well, Herod and Philip, they were good buddies. They were actually like half-brothers. They probably weren't that good of buddies whenever Herod took the wife of Philip the Tetrarch, right? Remember that story? Uh, Anyway, Philip um, kind of built this. Idumean Edomite kind of half-breed Jewish. The Jews uh, would say, okay, they're kind of descendants, but they were descendants of Esau. You remember what happened to Esau? He didn't get the blessing that Jacob did. So that line went on up there, and that's what these guys are. So that Philip is the same, kind of like uh, uh, Herod, along the same line, same family. They thought the same way. Did the same kind of actions. But you know, he takes credit for this this little town. Rome rules everything, really. They are just little puppet kings. They like to call themselves kings, but they really weren't kings. They were tetrarchs uh, of the you know the four rulers there. So you're going to this place called Bethsaida. This is really interesting little town because some apostles came from there. They weren't apostles when they grew up there. They were just boys. Who turned to be fishermen? That's where they learned to fish. It's right there on the Sea of Galilee or the lake. So the hometown of Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. That's where they they grew up. They they fished. Of course, they had businesses running there. Everybody knew them. You're in a small village. Everybody knows everybody. You know, and if you don't know them now, you will know them. You know, so uh, everybody knows these guys. Everybody's familiar with this place. At least uh, these. Different apostles were. And by the way, I have to think. Just sometimes I I don't want to read into things, but it's you know imagination takes over sometimes. And you remember the apostles that went out in the by pairs, six of them. I have to wonder if maybe Peter and Andrew, Philip and Nathaniel went on up. If first of all, or at some time, went to their hometown where they grew up. They live in Capernaum now a better fishing place, bigger city and such, and their business would really take off, and that's why they moved, probably. I'm just leading into that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it would be, I think, quite a thought of saying, hey, I, I think I'll go back to my hometown and uh, show them what's happening. A lot of things happened there, a lot of miracles. Believe me, they saw miracles. They they were witnesses of miracles like kind of like Capernaum was. Uh, that's what we're telling it, and hang on to that because, uh, well, you don't even have to hang on to it. Look, go to it right now. I won't even make you think very long. Luke ten, verse thirteen. Luke ten thirteen. Now he's going to send. This is pretty close to our Luke nine, right? And you say, well, "What's that about?" Well, that's kind of where we're at in Mark six. Uh, a few things happen then he calls the 70 to go out, and uh, listen to this. You've heard of this before. It's one of the woes. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, what? Bethsaida. For if miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, and that's where he's going to go pretty shortly. (laughs) If miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, Bethsaida, Right? They would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. If they would have seen the same thing, they would have repented. Don't ask me how that works out. That's in sovereign God's plan. Right? They would have repented. You haven't repented. What does that make them? They are more accountable. So as we sit here this morning, we're getting a little more knowledge of who God is. You are now more accountable than ever before. Do you know that? You say, well, it would be better if I wasn't around them. Uh... No. <laughs> Aren't we glad that the Word of God is around us constantly, right? Amen. But they are held in accountability here and that's what Jesus is saying that whenever He says, woe, whoa, woe, whoa. <laughs> W-O-E, right? But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment, whenever the full judgment comes, great white throne, than for you, all these people that are living here. And you, Capernaum, oh, we know Capernaum, don't we, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. Well, on Judgment Day, hell will be hotter for those people than ever than the rest of the unbelievers because of what they had witnessed. That tells you best say to new. We're only talking about eight miles. You know, like the distance between here and Taos. Yeah, those palace people would know if the news got around, you know. So they'd be held responsible too. And they are, aren't they? The Word of God has been preached in America. It's been preached in, in the cities, in Jefferson said, Even though it seems to be less and less, they're held responsible for what they heard. So, they go to secluded place. Supposed to, that's where they're going. This is where they're going to be Refreshed. If you sail across the lake and there's not so many people out there, it's only four miles. Would you rather sail on a nice blue sky day and the wind is just right? Maybe it's not so right. Maybe they don't get there as quick as they should. I don't know. Or walk eight miles. They're tired. Boat ride sounds pretty good to me. And they probably are taking their time. You know, have to sail up, say whatever, you know, we're, we're out here. It's quiet here too. This is going to be the only rest they're going to get right here on the boat. So, they're not going to get their rest at the secluded place. Immediately we know what's going to happen. Don't we? Okay, so that's Jesus' concern. Does He have a concern for their rest? Yeah. And He'd say, wow, that wasn't very long. But it did take a while to get over there because the people that are walking along the seashore go eight miles, and they beat the boat. So, evidently, it it took a little bit. Of course, they don't have their little five-horse motor there, the Evan Root or something like that. And thank the Lord that they didn't, because they didn't need to be in a hurry. Verse 33, then, back to Mark. Are you guys in Mark? Okay, I, I find this almost kind of humorous. And and I don't know if it should be humorous or not. But the people see the sail up. They see the boat. It's heading toward Bethsaida. And these people start running. They start running a 5K, a 10K. I don't know. How many? Eight miles. How many Ks is that? I'm start doing the math there. Okay. How much? It's over 10K. Okay. That's a pretty good little run. And these guys are in shape, though. They walk all the time. So they're going to run because they know where he's heading. They look at the boat. It's easy to see. There's no fog out there or anything. And they're going, yeah, that would be the nearest place. There's a little town over there, Seda. And so, you know, the people are hot-footing it. And as they're hot-footing, they're saying, where are you going? You know, they're running alongside the lake and everything. They're out looking at the boat. They're saying, look, Look! Look out there! You know that's Jesus. That's, that's the apostles out there. That's Jesus. And so other people go, hey, "Hey, I don't know what's happening, but let's go too." You know? And they're running. By the way, there's a there's a great five uh, k run today around the uh, the uh, uh, abortion clinic up in Columbia. And we have some runners here today that are going to go up there and do that five k and all around kind of Columbia. And uh, that's that's quite a, a a witness there in that sense, and, and it's for a good cause. So. Yeah, that is a real good cause. So, you know, ten K more than ten K is not really out of the realm, is it? Um Nando, have you ever done eight miles before? Close? Pretty close? Well, could you do it? You could do it, couldn't you? Yeah. Okay. I bet you could. Yeah. Oh okay, well, that's what's happening. People are expecting something, and they're calling out to other people. And You start off with a pretty good group of people, and now you've got thousands of people, folks, are are running. <laughs> it looked like the Boston Marathon. And I'm sure the apostles are going, what's going on over there? They see all these crowds. I mean, that's what's happening. It says they're running here. So you start thinking about it. They ran there together on foot, right, from all the cities. From all the everything that's around there, and they're seeing it, and of course there's a Decapolis area, over there. they have to wonder if maybe they're picking up on this. And the Capernaum and the people are going, and they beat them. They get over there, and they're, they're waiting, you know, and there there comes the boat. And so might have been uh, maybe the the wind wasn't enough, The winds didn't cooperate. You know, Jesus probably wants to slow this down. And they're saying, hey, that's okay. Yeah, you got to get some rest here cause look at that crowd. Now, we go from concern that Jesus has for rest hmm, to compassion. Jesus is compassion, isn't He? Man, did He ever have compassion on us? We have experienced the compassion of Christ. Well, here we get to see it in a living way here too. Um, He says, it says here, verse 34, when Jesus went ashore. Now that's interesting. This time, He's going to get out of the boat. You remember most of the time, where's He at? He's in the boat. Why is He in the boat when there are people out there? Because He doesn't want to get crushed. Gets out of the boat, went ashore, saw a large crowd. And after a while, it will give us an idea, but not the total number. A large crowd, and he what? Felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. What an opportunity. Hey, I don't care how rest, how much rest we need, guys. Look at this. Look at these people. Sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're after something and they really don't know for sure what it all is except they want to see a miracle or they want the miracle to happen to them. It's all on a physical realm for the most part. So, he, But he feels compassion. And the word there is splunkna. And I've used that word many times. You guys are probably familiar. You can say splunkna. What? What is that? Well, it's deep down into the pit of the stomach. Have you ever felt something that's going on in your life and you felt something there in the pit of your stomach? Yeah, whenever I had to give book reports back in grade school. And then take speech in high school. And then take speech in college. Oh, i got that deep down pit stomach of the... oh But this is talking about a, a compassion that is down deep into the inner bowels of that. That's the, that's what the Jew would, would think of. So Jesus felt this thing for these people. Okay, that's I mean he is human here and he feels everything we do. I mean you're talking about a tender compassion. It makes you think of Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen, and we can really identify with Jesus because he identified with us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He feels what we feel. Man, He knew exactly what they needed. Right? So He's really going to meet their need he had true emotions for them, but he's, he's going to be able to preach and teach here. And he knew full well of the effects of sin. And, I mean, of course he did. But he knew that that's why the people were in the position that they were. And you had blind people, lame people there. Just all the, I mean, just the worst cases that can be. And, of course, the demonic people. Wow. But yet He knows something that's even more important. They need Him. They need the bread of life. Sheep without a shepherd? He saw them as shepherdless sheep. And What a pitiful thing that is. If you ever saw sheep that are not taken care of and they don't have any kind of fences and they don't have anybody watching them, sheep will do anything. And they are defenseless. They will get lost. They are absolutely unable to do really much of anything. They don't have hands, you know. They can't feed themselves. They've got to be led out to do that. So if you know anything about sheep, you know they're helpless. They have to be taken care of. Jesus says, These are sheep without a shepherd. Oh, man. They're, they're vulnerable to wolves mountain lions. They could be out on their own eating and then one just kind of wanders off, get away from the shepherd, and within a moment's time, there comes the wolf. Just gnarls them up. Eats them up in a, in a moment's time. And uh, they're so vulnerable. They, they can fall down on their back and they're up like this all four feet and that's all they can do. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's as good as it. They can't do anything. They can't. You know, start moving like this. You know, try to roll over. They're stuck until something happens. A shepherd is going to come over there and going to have to get them and turn them over. Now, I don't know about cows, but I don't think that happens with cows. they know how to get up? It's kind of lumbersome you know, but they can do that, right? But not not sheep. So, and that's what I'm been told by by shepherds and and books that are, Philip Keller wrote a great book about shepherds. Some of you probably have read that book. Man, that was great. It was humbling because, oh, John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep. We are sheep. We are sheep. We are sheep. We need him constantly. So the Old Testament presents the picture of a shepherd who is to take care of the people. Moses was a shepherd, wasn't he? A shepherd of the Israelites. So he's out there leading them in the wilderness. He's a picture of the coming Messiah. The Old Testament, you know, has many pictures. Well there's Moses. A picture of the Messiah. He was not the Messiah, but he was a great picture of it where people could actually see the a shepherd working there. So the good shepherd knows that there are sheep there that are his. Turn to Numbers twenty seven seventeen. And we have got to get to this bread stuff here, Dennis. Taking too much time and all this other. Twenty-seven, seventeen. Moses talking: Who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd? Moses was the shepherd. The people are the sheep. Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 10. After 39 chapters of deep, dark judgment, boom, the light comes on. Chapter 40, and we get... Verse 11, right? Yeah. Like a shepherd, I was going to read all that, but that's too much. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. In His arms, He will gather the lambs, carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That's what He did to His own. Ezekiel 34, 5, same kind of thing. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This is really a really good picture of what's happening here, also. I think it's a great illustration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides, He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Man, I can't do anything for myself, but He can. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, in, in our Mark passage, it's going to be green grass there. He leads me beside quiet waters. Stores my soul. You know that psalm, don't you? Of course, everybody knows Psalm 23. Hollywood actors know that. and Boy, they can say it with a great voice. The thing is, do they know the shepherd? Right? They know the psalm, but do they know the shepherd? Now, he has compassion on them. Begins teaching them many things. Can you imagine some of the things he could have been teaching? How about some parables? Could have been teaching them some parables. How about the Beatitudes? Oh, what a great message. The Sermon on the Mount. Think he could have been teaching those things? Oh, they, I mean, this is the teacher of all teachers of the universe. Wouldn't you love just to sit at his feet and hear him teach? You would have been knocked off your feet. Of course, if you're already sitting, you were. All right. Anyway, what's happening here? Well, he's giving doctrine, teaching, doctrine. And in our times, people go, ooh, doctrine, ooh. They spurn doctrine. They don't like teaching because they would like to experience something. We want to have something where we feel good. Let's have a group hug. (laughs) Can you imagine thousands of people hugging each other, you know, doing some kind of Eastern religion, whatever, that kind of thing. Uh, Everybody tells how good they are. You know, oh, they can turn this into a positive thing. Blue sky! Blue sky! Great day! We have Jesus and the apostles. What a great day! You know, just making each other feel really good. No man had ever taught like this. He provided the people with truth, folks. And he also healed. He backed up his teaching with the healing to show that he was true. Have to move on. Conflicting ideas. That's a strange thing. Conflicting ideas. What's the confliction here? What's going on? Everything's just going fine and dandy, right? Well, the disciples actually kind of conflict with the master a little bit here. I think it's kind of interesting to see what's what they do. Okay, he's been teaching, been healing. It's getting kind of late in the afternoon. It's uh this is springtime. It's probably in mid April, because it's around Passover time, and if you look at in one of the other Gospels, uh, is it the Matthew? Not sure. Anyway, it'll say it was, it's Passover. I think it's John. John that says that. Uh, or the Passover is coming up, so it'll be close to that springtime. At this time, the the twelve have got to be getting hungry. You know, it's been a long day, and they just had a little quick bite to eat on the boat, and now they're thinking, "Hey, everybody, this is a huge crowd." if we get stuck out here and it starts getting dark, what, what's going to happen? And, and they don't have any food to eat. So they come up with an idea to kind of help Jesus along. You know, Jesus has been doing stuff and I'm sure that Jesus needs a little help. Maybe we need to tell Him some things. Peter, you know, did that quite frequently. And so the other disciples, they get in on this and they start informing Him. And they, they, it's like they do it together. When it's already quite late, His disciples came to Him and said, Can you imagine one of them? Maybe speaking. They're going, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the other guys that you never hear anything about, you know, they're going, Yeah, yeah. This place is desolate. and It's already quite late. He, he, Jesus, send them away. Okay, They're giving Jesus orders. Don't you know that He knows this? Well, sure. He set this all up. This is a divine appointment from one moment to the next. Did you know He's control of every second? He's control of our lives. So, oh no! I control the things in my life. What I'm going to do next and everything. I got news for you. <laughs> That's not the way it is. You didn't even choose to be born into this world, did you? Let alone salvation. Boy, send them away. You know, the other, there's surrounding villages, there's towns and stuff around here. You know where they came from. Send them on back, and they can buy themselves something to eat. They not stuck with a the bill. They're probably going. I have about a half a denarii here. What are you got? We can't do this. What are we going to do? And he answers, oh, well, I, you just have to love this. He, they come up with the idea. And and by the way, they're looking at this and it, our uh, very final verse says there were 5,000 men. So you can say, well, that crowd, five, it's, just, it's just men. Or you say, well, that's mankind. Well, in this word, you can't mean mankind. It means men like I'm a man, right? you got men out here. you got women out here. But this is men. Andres is the word. 5,000 men. He said, well, was it just a gathering of men? Was this like a promise keeper's meeting where all the men come and no women? Or...
1: <laughs>
0: no, no. It's Andres. Men. Yes, 5,000 men. But they have wives. They have children. And if you look in Matthew 14, it says, besides women and children. 5,000 men. Now let's just do a little math and say it would be very safe and I think it would be a low number for 15,000. That means most of them have wives and they have one kid. That's 15,000. One kid? Are you kidding me? Back then? They had multiple kids. 5, 6, 7, 10, 15. I think it would be safe to say let's just say 15,000. But I like the number twenty to 25,000. And I think that's rather safe. Or imagine a good crowd at Bush Stadium. Pretty good amount of people here. There's no way that we're going to feed these people. Can you imagine just having at a, at a ball game and having a few people around? It's hard enough to buy tickets to go to a St. Louis Cardinal game without, you know, okay, we're buying the tickets, but we're not getting any food there, you know, because we, <laughs> the food is really expensive there, right? Okay, the tickets are too. But I want to tell you, there are more people, there's only so much money. They can't do this. They realize it, and that's exactly what Jesus wants them to do. Okay, you give them something to eat. I think that is rather cool. What Jesus would, if I can say that. Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, you go ahead and do it. You know, you guys have been out there doing that. You know, theoretically, I have to wonder if maybe they could have. They've been doing it. They've been healing. They they had the power and authority, but it didn't come across their minds. They're thinking physically. I'm not saying that that's what the case would have been. Uh, This is the way it's supposed to go down. But you know what? If I'd been there, I wouldn't have been thinking, hey, we can feed them, guys. Listen, look at the miracles we did. i had been thinking, Jesus is here. <laughs> I don't mean, know what He's got planned, but well, what are we going to do? They start thinking like human beings, which they are. And what, they're, what is about to be done is just beyond where they're at, it's just way beyond them. I mean, this is way too massive, folks. Jesus had never done anything like this either. He had not fed people like this. We we don't see that. I mean, he could have. He could very well, but this is recorded this way. So we'll take it in this sense. Thousands of people. We're talking, let's just say, 20,000 people. They're not adequate to do this. The disciples are not. We are not adequate to serve the Lord. You know that? We are absolutely inadequate. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit to be up here and to be taking God's Word is I'm absolutely inadequate to even handle this and do this. And had I been in my my old nature and my flesh, I, there's no way that I ever even would even think about it. But every one of us which is not adequate to serve the Lord... Also, as we looked in First Peter last week, we have been gifted. And in the Lord and in Christ, we can serve in an amazing way. And when you put the group, the body of Christ together, isn't it amazing what God can do? But they need to realize that they have to count on this shepherd to be able to do this. We are absolutely nothing without Him. John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. You're nothing. You have to depend upon me because I'm the one that's going to give you life, salvation. And you know what? The apostles here kind of sarcastic. And I want to tell you, they're very, I think they're very disrespectful here. You go, right? You give them something to eat. And they answer back, should we go and spend 200 denarii on bread? You know, they're saying, this is going to take like a year's salary or something. There's no way we can do this. You expect us to pay for this? You know, that's pretty disrespectful. Jesus has said something. And they should say, I don't know what you got in mind, but I, I can't wait to see. <laughs> And, you know, in some of the other Gospels, you have Andrew. You know, he must have been checking all the brown baggers out there. It's got to be somebody. (laughs) Somebody. has got. And he ran into this little boy. See, these people were running. Remember, they're out there. They weren't ready. It was like, who knows, maybe it was before lunch or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're out there just doing their work or whatever they were doing. And uh, so they started running. They don't have food with them. People always carried food if they went on an eight-mile hike. You know, I mean, this is going to take a while. But no, no, no. No, uh, but one boy had a mother who was prepared. And everybody knows that kind of mother, right? It doesn't matter what kind of thing you're in, you're going to be ready. And so this little boy, uh, we'll say, it could be like 12 years old, something like that, has this lunch with him. Now, he has these loaves. And when we're talking loaves, I know what you're thinking. Of course, whenever I was a little boy, when I was 12 years old, we got wonder bread. You know, the great big loaves that seemed like they were that big? I mean, you don't get them like that anymore. You know, about like that. But, I mean, those slices, they're real thin as really tasty. Probably really bad for you, you know, when you really think about it. But they weren't wonder loaves of bread. They weren't 12 loaves. Is that what they said? Five loaves, right? Twelve loaves later. Five loaves. It's biscuits. Five little biscuits. Even better, crackers. Five little crackers that are in this basket with a couple of little sardines. We're not talking big old whopping catfish. No, she just packed his bag and he had for his lunch with with the little crackers and the little fish. And now Jesus is saying, we're going to keep breaking this... uh, you know, and breaking. He doesn't say that, but that's really what's going to happen. And he's going to feed all that crowd. I think that's even more amazing than just saying, "Okay, bread, fish," and it all piles up. You know, and they say, "Come and get it." No, in this case, he's going to take and, and use it. some kind of pickled fish that they have, and um, the disciples find this, bring it to him. They just give him what they have. It's not much, is it? It's just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. And now we get into the culinary delight. I had to have something that came with a C. And then I started uh, thinking, oh, food, food, culinary. But there's a reason for that. This is not a diet either. This is a delight. People are going to enjoy this feast like they've never done before. Well, you say, yeah, because they're really, really hungry. And if they can get a couple of bites of food, that'll be better than nothing. Well, this is a sovereign command that Jesus has and He orders them to get in groups, fifties and hundreds. And they do. And remember, you have huge crowds, they better get in groups. We're going, to, we're going to do this orderly and we're going to get this thing done in a way that has to be done. And it kind of reminds you of back in the days of Moses whenever the people were gotten together in groups. And it's interesting that there is a word here, they sit down by groups on the, Greek, uh, the green grass, sit down in groups, um, the word there, um, what was it? Oh, it means garden plot. Garden plot. That's what this must have looked like. Garden plot. Yeah, the people were garden plots. Just all around. They had these groups here and there. And they had different colors of clothes on. And as they were sitting there, it probably looked like gardens. But that's what the idea of, of group is. I think it's colorfully clad people sitting in orderly groups. Like flower beds cut in a, in a green lawn. Because they're in green grass. And that's interesting. Sit down by groups on the green grass. It, uh, this is one of the times of the year when you're going to have green grass. How often do you think that happened? In the mid, you think of the Mideast? You think of uh, Israel? That, you can't find that too often. Now, this was at the time of the year that it was that way. That's why we can say, okay, yeah, John's right when he says Passover, right? Green grass. It must have looked beautiful. And the people were sitting there. And then I think, I thought immediately of Psalm 23. He causes me to lie down in green pastures, in green grass. He causes me, you know. And there they are. And here's the shepherd. Here's the sheep. They're in the grass. Garden plots. <laughs> Jesus lifts His eyes. Took the five loaves. Can you imagine? And the crowd's way back. What's He got up there? Got these little biscuits and and the and the sardines and looking up toward heaven, starts praying. He, bless, he blesses the food. You know what that blessing is? I can tell you what it is. I think some of you might be knowing what it is right now. At the Passover, they say that, and they they always say this blessing whenever they have food. You know what it is? Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread. From the earth. This is the earth, but this is a heavenly bread. Remember the manna that was out in the wilderness? Well, anyway, can you hear them saying, Thank you, Lord? He's given this blessing. Everybody's looking around saying, What in the world? What is he thinking of? He took this lunch from this boy, and he took it from a little kid, and he's up there, Thank you, Lord. You know, thousands of people and He's saying thank you Lord and He's got, got this. What, what's going on? What What's happening here? What in the world is going on? The disciples are saying what's He going to do? Well, out came the bread and the fish. The disciples took some to serve and more just kept coming out. Jesus has this food just keeps coming out. Now understand, crackers made from barley that was never planted You get the idea? This had never really been planted. Uh, Fish that had never swam. This is food that's never really been touched or tainted by sin or the curse. We, We can have some really good food, but it's still tainted. We don't know what food will taste like when we are in glorified bodies. But I'll tell you what. It will taste much better. Your senses of taste are going to be incredible. The way that you see things, life is going to just be colorful. Brilliant. We see in a glass dimly today. But that day, remember, it's going to be amazing for the rest of eternity, folks. They get some food here. Do you think the food was good? Huh? Jesus made this, and He made a lot of it. And I want to tell you, since there's a lot of food and it just keeps coming up, I'm not going to starve here today. I'm going to eat some more. And so they got all they wanted. They were satisfied. And that's more than just satisfied. I want to tell you, this food is like eating in the Garden of Eden before there was sin. This food had to be incredible. they are uncursed crackers and uncursed fish. And this is just incredible to think about. Man, I wouldn't have mind been there. <laughs> they feasted, folks, because... It says here, as he divides this up, and of course it just kept coming, they all ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. And I have to close this up, folks. All of them ate more and more. They were so satisfied. Cortazo is the word and it means to fodder up an animal like stuff in a bag on an animal's nose until he eats to the bottom. That's the thought. They're going to get filled completely. Absolutely satisfied with this food. They'd love to have some more, but they can't eat anymore. They never tasted anything like this. Wow. And then the leftovers. That's all, this is almost humorous that Jesus would actually have some left over. And it's not because He's an environmentalist and wants to make sure that they pick up all the trash. Twelve baskets twelve. It came out just perfect. Here, apostles. Here's your food as we uh, will go on out of here and you will have some tomorrow. (laughs) Whatever. Oh, oh, This is staggering. They're, They're baskets. The word is kafanas. It's a travel bag. It's what you would carry for your lunch or meal in. This is staggering what Jesus did. You know what they did? At this time, they just dispersed. And they went on. Some of them see Jesus the next day and you know what they want? They want to get fed again the same stuff that they had. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going that way today. I want to tell you what this is all about. We have to close with this right here. Sorry to take so long. I have gone over my hour. We're going to continue on next week, okay? okay. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Well, you know that I'm not going to let that go. Okay. <laughs> Breakfast. Breakfast. They see Jesus. The same fish, the same crab. Yes, that stuff was so good. And Jesus says, I am the source of your free food. And that's what he says in John 6. Matter of fact, that's where he talks about choosing his own. None come to the Father except by, you know, through Jesus Christ. The Father is the one who chooses them. And brings them and gives them to His Son. He says things like that. And He says, you must eat of Me. Do you you get it now? This is the next day. You have to eat of Me. Partake of Me. Take Me all in. Drink of Me. This is the spiritual teaching that He has. And in John 6.66, folks, I have to close this out. Sorry it takes so long, but this is so amazing. After he has said some things that their minds can't fathom. Verse 65, and he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me, come to Christ, unless it has been granted him from the Father. You know what happened? That made people really mad. When he talked about Tyre and Sidon, That made people really mad. When he talked about going to Gentiles, certain ones who were chosen, it made them so mad they wanted to kill him. Well, look what happens here. As a result of this, many of his disciples, not the twelve, the people who were learning from him, following him, had been following him for a long time, withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. He said some very difficult things. He said them yesterday. And he says, you have to eat of me, partake of me. And no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. And they are very angry. That's it. I'm out of here. And he had pronounced judgment upon Chorazin and Bethsaida. That's that area, Or Bethsaida. That's where he's at. That's where he's been at. God was tied up. God is compassionate. God provides. God gives us rest. God satisfies us. He calls us to give what we don't have, just ourselves. And we serve like the disciples served. We share the bread of life. People out there are sheep without a shepherd. They are starving. They need the bread of life. There are multitudes out there who are like sheep without a shepherd and that is where we come in we take our 12 baskets and we go out and share the bread of life let's pray